It seemed like a good idea at the time. The white bigot was dying, and the black soul brother needed time to prove his innocence. More power to you, brother. I want to transplant my head on a healthy body. Think I like to donate my body to science after all. So they transplanted the white head onto the black body. Who would have suspected that neither would care for the idea too much? Transplanted another arm for you. How does it feel to have someone else's arm? Dad, it's sort of gross. Well, that's not how it looks. It's how it works, right? I think there's something the matter with me. Oh, it's the arm. Billy, there's something wrong with the person I used to belong to. You have this guy's arm. You don't have his personality. Transplants the medical miracle that can completely change the course of a dying body into a thriving body. Or it can completely change your personality and turn you into a crazy maniac on the run from society. Well, according to the movies, that is. Today, we'll talk about all of the transplants in films that took a bad turn, from the creeping disembodied hands films to sexy early 90s thrillers, penis transplants, two-headed interracial men on the run, and a human centipede. Today, I present Attack of the Transplants. This is Slums of Film History, a lowbrow look into the high art of cinema. Every episode is an in-depth look into a niche topic of film that is normally not discussed in polite company. I'm Slate. And I'm Tom. And each week, one of us researches our respective topic, writes an episode, and the school's the other. We discuss everything from S&M Nazis to murderous children to big-ass insects. If there's a film subject too taboo, we haven't found it yet. Welcome. Tom. Hey, Slate. How's it going? Good. How are you? Oh, I'm living the life. So this is it. This is the last episode of season four. four. I got this. Yeah, you I got to this. think about it for a minute. We were just you? talking about how exhausted we are with this one. Yeah. We're doing great. We got, we got through this. It's great. It's just a lot of work. Yeah, it was it was a lot of work. I was ahead of the game at the beginning. Mm-hmm. I was like, I got my shit done early. This is going to be an easy season. And then everything went to shit. Yeah, that's it usually what went happens. Went to shit. I knew it was going to be shitty uh, from the beginning because <laughs> we were like, oh, let's do it during the summer, the time where Slate has the least amount of time to spend doing this. Right. And I was like, sounds like a great idea. And of yeah. course, a week into the summer, I was like, what the fuck? Why did I do this? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, we got through it. I actually finished this episode more than 24 hours 
years ago, which is really good for me. So right. I did manage to pull it out in the end. All right, we got two shout outs. You're going first. A few weeks ago, there was a podcast called Cadavercast, and it's by this guy, Jeff, and his son, Alistair. It's a family-friendly uh, monster movie podcast. That's how they label themselves. Yeah, Alistair is a, is a child. He's a, a child. Yeah. He's five or something. He's very yeah. young. And actually, I have people at work, you know, when I talk about my podcast, and they're like, well, can kids listen to it? And I'm like, fuck no. You're like, <laughs> not even close. Yeah, so, yeah. But if you're looking for a horror movie podcast that has recommendations for movies that are kid-friendly as well as ones for adults, then Cadavercast is really, actually, a really cute and really nice podcast. Yeah. So, Okay. And the reason I bring them up anyway is a few weeks ago, they were nice enough to shout us out on their broadcast and they said some really nice things about us. And I was like, that's very nice of them to listen. I'm glad. I mean, he, his kid doesn't listen, but Jeff does. And he had some nice things to say. So I just wanted to return the favor. Yeah, so they're great podcasts. Yeah. Really interesting format and just something really unique to, you know, see horror movies and monster movies, but with a with a kid spent. Super cool. Yeah. So, so give it a, a shot if you get a chance. We had a really interesting kind of thing. After we talked about Satan's children, I never told anyone, but I found a copy of it. It was something weird video and had it mailed to Tom as kind of like a surprise. <laughs> right. And then we went to the beach for my birthday and we watched it together. It was really something. It was something. Yeah. yeah that's a good way of putting it. But we had a listener who is the writer of Cult Credentials. His name is Johnny Metro. And he found the grandchild of the director of Satan's Children and basically wrote an article about it. So yeah. I had read it a couple days ago. You read it this morning. Yeah. Uh, but super, super interesting. So his site is cultcredentials.wordpress.com. But you should check it out. He does lots of movie reviews and just really, really, really cool. super interesting stuff. Yeah. And follow him on Twitter, too, because he's much better at Twitter than we are. So that's at Cult Credentials. So thanks, Johnny Metro, yeah, for, thanks. Uh, for the article. And it answered a lot of questions that we had about, about Satan's Children. Okay, a couple of other things. We have decided last night that we are going to do Season 5 starting tentatively. Don't quote us on this one yet. But at the beginning of April. Around April. Time around April. So it'll be kind yeah. of spring, late spring. And on top of that, season five is going to be our final season. That's correct. We've always planned on doing five seasons. Mm-hmm. Let me just from the start beginning, by yeah. saying that. We were like, okay, we're going to do this podcast. We'll give it a shot. We don't hate each other. No, we're we not won't. canceling this whole thing. We right. always knew it was yeah, going to be a we're five not, season. We're not breaking thing. up. But we were like, let's do this initial one, five seasons. We'll see what we can do with the brand and the product or whatever. If we have something, where can we go from here? That's what we're going to take time off and figure out after season five. Yeah. I'm hoping that even going into season five, we know what our next step is going to be because we've kind of turned slums into a brand. It's got its own visual identity and stuff like that. We kind of do something that I feel like is different than most other podcasts, but it's like, what are we going to do beyond being a podcast? Are we going to write a book? Are we going to teach a class? Are we going to, I don't know. Do a video series. We don't know. If anybody has suggestions, then please let us know. And advice too, because we've been flying blind on this fucking thing from day one. I can't believe we made it. This is season four. It's been two years. (laughs) Like Two years, four seasons crazy that we managed to pull this off basically we had a conversation on the phone one night after we watched the exorcist 2 oh yeah yeah and we started coming up with this idea it wasn't a month before we were sitting down recording this podcast we had no idea i looked online it was like microphone how to find how to make podcasts right threw it together it worked i'm proud of it and i know slate is but we had an end point for an initial run and and season five is that end point who knows beyond that we don't know season five will be the last one that comes out in around April, but we're not going anywhere. So the Slums brand is going to continue in some form. And if you got a suggestion, then let us know. We just want to let people know that and move on. Yeah. This is good news. 
Yeah, yeah. It, it sounds is. like sad news, but it's good news. It is good news, yeah. yeah. It's an evolution. We just don't know what we're evolving into yet. Right, yeah, we haven't figured it out yet, but, <laughs> but we'll get there. Okay, are you ready to start yes. the episode? All right. So this episode is 100% a listener suggestion. Mm-hmm. As I'm sure you all know by now, we don't always know what our topics are, and I usually decide on my last episode about a week or two after I'm supposed to have already, you know, started. Mm-hmm. And it's Same been here. a really busy summer, and I just haven't really thought of a great last episode. So I pulled up all my notes on incest and started it. I keep... the <laughs> Incest is like... Like the episode that I'm just never gonna write. Right. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna write on incest. I don't care about it, but whatever, it'll be fine. I'll I'll get some inspiration as I go. Sure. And I started working on it. And that night, I got an email from a listener named Allison. I think it's the first time that we've ever heard from Allison before. And she recommended this topic. She actually had a comment on cheerleaders uh, and an article. Yeah. I read the article and then kind of like, you know, looked at the topic and was like, okay, that's kind of interesting and like moved on. And then an hour later, I'm still working on incest going, this topic is good. She has a good topic. Yeah, it is a good topic. Thank you, Allison, because that night I went to bed, I put my computer away. And when I woke up in the morning, I was like, I'm scrapping incest and I'm going with attack of the transplant. So it was a very short amount of time that I kind of realized like this topic was so good that I have to scrap what I'm doing and like make up a week of time to work on this. So slate stopped incest. So that's, that's a good thing. Yeah. I'll probably start it again. Later. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. <laughs> All right, so a few ground rules. I'm mostly talking today about transplants that in some way go wrong or unexpected. Okay. So basically when someone gets a transplant and they start acting not like themselves. It's a pretty simple concept, and so I've peppered in a few other films with transplants just to kind of show context, but I'm not going to list every movie where a transplant happens, just when they go wrong in an unusual way. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So here's a little history on transplants, since half of the transplants in this episode aren't even possible. Okay, great. According to the United Network for Organ Sharing, the kidney was the first human organ to be transplanted successfully in 1954. Hmm. Liver, heart, and pancreas transplants were successfully performed by the late 60s, while lung and intestinal organ transplant procedures were begun in the 80s. Until the 80s, the potential of organ rejection limited the number of transplants performed, but now medical advances in the prevention and treatment of rejection led to more successful transplants and an increase in demand. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So here's some interesting facts. There has never been a head transplant, but Mm-mm. there has been a penis transplant. There have been face transplants. Remember that lady that was attacked by a monkey? And had her face, face eaten off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you lose your thumb, the best option for you is to get your big toe transplanted on your hand. They work in the same way, apparently. Uh, hmm. And a man in 1995 had a heart transplant from a guy that shot himself in the throat. A few years later, the recipient killed himself the same way. And a 15-year-old from Australia got a liver transplant. And when her doctor went back to check her blood results, her blood type had changed from O positive to O negative. I didn't fact check any of these. (laughs) I just saw them on like, you know, clickbait sites or whatever. It's amazing. Um, But I use it just to show that organ transplants are are kind of nuts. I think probably 99% of the things that we're talking about today are in no way true, never could happen. But there are certainly some things that are interesting about real life organ transplants. Yeah, yeah, certainly. We've gone from being able to take fresh organs from a matching donor and putting them into other people to creating technology that in some ways can match or even be better. I'm talking about, you know, when people get like, you know, when you lose your leg and they put like a Terminator leg on you. Yeah, they do that. Yeah, Yeah, that's cool. To soon being able to 3D print organs for transplants. So this medical science has gone really, really far on this. Or you can grow ears on mice. Uh Uh-huh, which is just super functional. Yeah. Yeah. So it's no wonder Hollywood has been fascinated by transplants for a long time, even way before it was even possible. The first film I could find is called The Hands of Orlac from 1924. 
It was directed by Robert Wine, the Austrian guy that did The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari and a bunch of other silent horror movies. It's about a guy named Paul Orlack, a concert pianist, that gets his hands all fucked up in a train accident and a doctor gives him a transplant, which was completely impossible at the time, sure, and gives him new hands from a guy that just recently died. Mm-hmm. Problem is, of course, the guy was a murderer. So now Orlack is unsure of whether the new hands are okay or if they have a mind of their own. Paul's father is murdered and Paul thinks that he might have done it but has no recollection of it. And eventually Mm. it's found out that a con man made gloves out of the murderer's hands and committed the murder as a way of extorting Paul. It's available on YouTube for free. Now, fun fact, as a lot of silent movies were remade a few years after sound, this movie was remade in 1936. So that was only 10 years later. Yeah. As Mad Love, starting Peter Lorre as Orlac. Oh, wow. And then remade in French and English in 1960. And then again in 1962 as The Hands of a Stranger. Hmm. So if you think the 20 teens are full of shitty remakes, it's not just, it's been going on forever. Yeah, no shit. The next film, of course, was Frankenstein from 1931. Yep. We talked about Frankenstein and Kid Killin', and I hadn't seen it in a while, so I watched it a few weeks ago. Okay. It's a really good movie. Yeah, and that's really, great. Really, really good. Yeah. When this dead hand moves, the monster created by a man they called Mad is turned loose to strike terror into the hearts of men. <laughs> <laughs> To shock women into uncontrolled hysteria. Elizabeth! To prey upon the innocence of children. This is the story you've heard about, talked about. The spine-tingling, blood-chilling story that stuns your emotions. Frankenstein! The main plot is basically about a scientist who makes a man out of stolen body parts and his dumb dumb assistant gets the brain from a murderer. So the man monster is now basically killing everyone inside. I know everyone knows this. Yeah, yeah so. I was going to say, thanks for explaining the movie everyone knows in a scene. Well, here's a few things you might not know about Frankenstein. <laughs> All right, fair enough. What? American horror movies were not really a big thing back in the 30s. Right. Universal was actually pretty far in the toilet when they took a big risk making Dracula with Bela Lugosi and it paid off big time for them. Mm-hmm. It made a fortune and audiences loved it. Some members of the audience fainted in fright it was something that they had never experienced before a horror thriller on the big screen so Universal threw a ton of money into horror films and the second one was of course Frankenstein when it was done it opened in New York City in 1931 and in the first week made $53,000 in 2017 money that's $800,000 in the first week I crunched the numbers on this is that possible could a movie open in one theater and in a week make $800,000 I don't know how I feel like it had to be running 24 hours a day Mm -hmm. And just like stuffing 500 people at a time. And I mean, the theaters were much bigger back then. True. But as a fact checker, I'm not great. So who knows? We're going to say it happened. Audiences were terrified, but also delighted. You know, going to see a horror film was a fun experience. And the critics loved it, too. It came out right before the production code. So it was, you know, pretty breakthrough. And it was also wildly controversial. Yeah. It was censored in a few different states. Kansas wanted 33 scenes cut in order to pass the local morality bullshit or whatever they got going on there. state morality shit is crazy stupid so if they had had their way then it would have been cut down the movie would have been 30 minutes long and been like opening sequence our monster pitchforks end and they would have been like can you cut that monster part yeah we don't like that it's offensive to people since you watched it again for this episode did you see the scene i talked about in kid killing that had the girl you know he throws her in the lake and she drowned did you see that scene was it back in the version that i saw did have it back in okay yeah it was cool. cool yeah yeah 
there I love watching kids die. Um, there was a movie called Black Friday in 1940, which involved a partial brain transplant, and then it had a whole mobster plot. But I'm going to skip to the movie The Beast with Five Fingers from 1946 because it's going to come up numerous times today. The Beast with Five Fingers was Warner Brothers' only 1940s horror story, and considering most of the horror movies at the time were Wolfman, Cat People, Dracula, Frankenstein, you know, types of right. films, this one was really odd and wonderful. Long story short, have you heard of this? Mm-mm. Yeah, okay. Long story short, it's an inheritance movie. Everyone tries to kill each other over who gets the inheritance I money. I love that trope. It's great. But then the hand of a man that dies and has the inheritance money comes alive and starts killing people. So basically, the second half of the film is a lot of footage that must have seemed super, like, utterly amazing at the time of a disembodied hand crawling around playing mm-hmm. the piano and, of course, strangling people. Of course. That's amazing. So this is not a transplant movie because the hand was cut off and then came to life. But I want to talk about it for a second because it was kind of the natural spinoff of movies like The Hands of Orlac, where now modern film technology allowed for rogue hands to no longer be attached to someone. And there have been a slew of disembodied hands movies after. Huh. After The Beast with Five Fingers, there was Invasion of the Saucermen from 1957, which is a combination alien and severed disembodied hand film. When I say disembodied hand films, do you understand what I'm talking about? Where hands like it's are just... like spider hand walking right, around. Yeah. yeah, okay, good. Just wanted to make sure. That was a thing. It was really a thing. So The Crawling Hand from 1963, where an astronaut who has encountered aliens and only a severed arm and hand make it back to Earth. Mm-hmm. So naturally it comes alive and strangles people. Oliver Stone made a severed hand movie called The Hand with Michael Caine. I remember that. Evil Dead has a severed hand. The Waxworks movies have one. Severed Ties from 1992. Thing from the Addams Family movies. So you get it. Disembodied hands. Right. That's the thing. Yeah. No pun intended. Right. So this will come back a little bit. But, you know, none of these are really transplant movies. But when I started going through, I was like, wow disembodied hands movie now there's something i never really thought about as a genre of film before it's weird okay we've never talked about this movie and it's one of my favorites of all time okay it's eyes without a face from 1960 yeah i've never seen it it's on criterion that's correct yeah but i have not seen it so you haven't seen it do you know anything about it i don't i really don't okay it was a relatively unknown french film that was mostly forgotten until the early 80s when it was released on vhs and it picked up a cult following and Billy Idol saw it and wrote a song called Eyes Without a Face. Eyes without a face. That's right. It's kind of a dreary song, but yeah. it became his first top 10 hit, which of course helped, you know, the movie as well. Want to hear about it? Yes, Since of you've course. never seen it? Yeah. I haven't seen it. Eyes Without a Face is about a mad scientist-like plastic surgeon that is trying to repair his daughter's busted-up face after she got in a car accident. Mm-hmm. The twist is, he's abducting women and removing their faces and grafting them on his daughters. Then he has his assistant, a woman who he had replaced her face successfully, dumps the bodies. So the reason why she's working for him is because he basically gave her a new face when she thought she was like disfigured. She's like the Igor to Dr. Frankenstein. Oh, nice. Meanwhile, his daughter roams the mansion they live in wearing a terrifying plain female face mask that ended up being the inspiration for Michael Myers' mask in Halloween. I won't spoiler the ending because if you haven't seen it, you need to. So I'm going to show you a picture of the weird creepy mask face that she okay. has. Ugh. Damn, that's creepy. Yeah. 
It's that's, super creepy. That is very creepy. Do you see the Halloween mask connection? Yeah, I get it. Yeah, yeah. that's very. Yeah. It's very, very like plain. You can only see her eyes kind of coming through. It's horrifying. It's really scary. Yeah. So she basically spends most of the movie wearing that. And I'll show you just one more picture since you haven't seen it. Ooh. Wow. So this is a picture of the face transplant. That's pretty gruesome. So a few things about Eyes Without a Face. It's considered a classic now, sitting beside movies like Diabolique, Mm -hmm. Peeping Tom, and Polanski's Repulsion. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't well-received when it came out. Before it was even made, it was based off of a book. The director had to be careful not to get in trouble with European film censors. The French censors didn't like blood, the Germans didn't like mad scientists, and the Brits didn't like animal cruelty. That's part of the ending, which I'm not spoiling. When it was released and it went to theaters, people fainted in screenings, and the critics destroyed it. It was censored differently in every country it went to, including the United States. And it never really picked up any steam. It may be one of the best examples I've ever seen of a movie that was way ahead of its time and didn't get the attention it deserved until the times kind of like caught up with it. Right. But one more thing, you know, I hate censorship in any form, Sure. but I will say that like the production code by giving the director a small box to work in, the film had to kind of regulate itself the lack of blood and gore and the subtlety of the surgeon, it kind of couldn't be a mad scientist movie, like I mentioned before for yeah, the yeah, German yeah. audiences. It kind of helped it be something that no one had ever really seen before. Mm-hmm. If he hadn't have been in a box, it could have been a monster trope or a mad scientist trope or an early gore film. Right. And it's really none of those things, which is why it's such a great movie. Right. You know? yeah. It's his own thing. I just thought it was really, really interesting. Why do Germans hate mad scientists? I don't know. I don't know. What's the problem with that? I guess that just wasn't their thing. They were like, this is the thing we hate. I wonder if they worry about the Nazi scientist connotation, maybe? Yeah, like the experiments that were done like at the time. I I don't know. I feel like I'm reaching, though. I I don't know. Anyone out there, if you know, let us know. Yeah, let us know. Germans hate scientists. And I'll fact check it, meaning do nothing. Or means, yeah, he'll... (laughs) Just look, say things that I find in interesting from and 1945 pre- and, and present them as facts. Right. Yeah. yeah. A not great film is The Brain That Wouldn't Die from 1962. <laughs> what did you talk about this in? I didn't talk about that one, but or did I? You did. Uh, no. Well, we've become that podcast that can't remember. We can't remember shit. It's been a long season. Head trauma. Head trauma. That's yeah, right. Yeah, I talked about it in head right. trauma. Yeah. We're like the oldest <laughs> farts. We're like, you earlier episodes, it's, get off our lawn. Yeah, yeah. It's about a surgeon whose fiance is decapitated in a car accident. He takes the head home to his lab and keeps it alive while he goes from place to place looking for a woman to graft her head on. He keeps it like on a cookie sheet in his house. <laughs> it's kind of the yeah. effects aren't great. The head, though, is like totes against this and just wants to die. I guess they didn't think that this was a good enough plot. So they added a second monster that lives locked away in the lab. And the head starts to be able to talk telepathically with it for some reason. It's just a whole second plot to the movie. And then at the end, all hell breaks loose and the monster gets out and kills the surgeon. The lab burns down and the head is screaming, I told you to let me die, which is kind of great. Yeah, it's kind of great. But not a great movie. No. But it was a great Mystery Science Theater episode. It might have been one of the best. Yeah, Yeah, it's really good. Really good. That brings us to the first comedy in today's episode, and that would be the classic Stanley Kubrick film, Dr. Strangelove, or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Atom Bomb from 1964. Yeah. Okay, so Dr. Strangelove isn't really a transplant recipient, but he does have a hand that has a life of its own. Oh, it does? Yeah. It likes to see Kyle for some Uh reason. Do you remember why? 
Well, he was a Nazi scientist, mm-hmm. so I don't remember why the hand does it on its own. He was reformed. To work on the nuclear project right. or whatever, and then, but it all happens die hard, I guess. It was funny when we were uh, talking about this last night, because I kept being like, oh, I know all these transplant movies. There's The Hand, which was the Oliver Stone movie. Mm-hmm. There was Idle Hands or whatever, and I looked, and none of these were transplant movies. They right. all involved phantom things happening and your limbs doing different things, but they didn't have anything to do with transplants. So, okay. so half of these movies, like Doctor Strange, Love isn't actually a transplant movie, but I did want to mention it because just like in disembodied hands movies, it was kind of like your limb doing something differently than what your brain is telling you to do. Gotcha. There was Night of the Bloody Apes from 1968, in which a mad scientist attempts to cure his son's leukemia, replacing his son's heart with that of a gorilla's. The result of the operation is a deformed and mutated man-ape hybrid taking on the characteristics (laughs) of the organ's donor who immediately goes on a bloody rampage. Nice. Mm Mm-hmm. I know the description is probably much better than the actual movie. I'm sure, yeah. But Although this one sounds good. And no, yeah. it sounds like gold to me. Probably not. And then there was Doris Wishman's The Amazing Transplant from 1970. <laughs> if you remember from that episode, it's extremely rapey and probably not nearly as apologetic about it as it should have been. Right. It had full-on nudity and was in full garish color, as opposed to some of her earlier black and white films. The mm-hmm. plot centers around, do you remember? Oh, yeah, 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 the penis. Yeah. Why did he rape? <laughs> Why did he ravage? Why did he kill? He was a demon, a beast. He was evil and depraved. His was the most unique of them all. To some women, he was an instrument of pleasure. He dared what no man ever has. See the most daring level of human experimentation. A seemingly normal man that becomes transfixed by his fiancée's golden earrings and tries to force her to have sex, can't get it up, and then strangles her. He then starts a rape and sometimes murder spree, raping women, one of whom ends up liking it. Of course, as they do. Oh, Doris. A doctor ends up explaining that he performed a penis transplant on the man and the well-endowed penis was from a serial rapist. So basically his penis overtook his brain, which is actually kind of believable. Yeah, there's some and science behind it. Happens that. to most men all of the right. time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Definitely published in medical journal. Uh-huh. The amazing transplant. Yeah. Thanks, Doris. Thanks, Ms. <laughs> Wishman. <laughs> so here's two films I have never heard of. Okay. Have you heard of these The Incredible Two-Headed Transplant from 1971? No, uh-huh. I have not. It's about a rich scientist conducting experiments on head transplantation. His caretaker has a son, Danny, who, although fully grown, has the mind of a child. One day, an escaped psycho killer invades his home, kills Danny's father before being gunned down. With the maniac dying and Danny deeply unsettled by his father's death, the doctor decides to take the final step and transplant the killer's head onto Danny's body. Of course, things go horribly wrong and the two-headed creature escapes to terrorize the Hmm. countryside because, of course. Right, of course. A massive monster menaces the world. (laughs) Threatening the most intimate terror a woman ever felt. Because of an experimenter with life. The incredible two-headed transplant. Who are you? I'm your brother. You 
you and I are now one, dummy. So the technical aspects of this are supposed to look like a body that has two heads, but there were no special effects like this back then. So from what I can tell, they filmed both men, probably one sitting on the other's lap, wearing the same shirt, mm-hmm. usually kind of a turtlenecky type of thing, because of course, of course you know. Yeah, that makes sense. They never filmed them with anyone else so that they could minimize the body size since it was two people's bodies together in one outfit. Right. Then they used a separate stuntman with a fake head attached to the neck and shot that from the back. It's probably like all bobbling around and looking like... (laughs) It looks like half the movie is these scenes shot from behind of a bobbly head, you know, bobbing (laughs) around. Less than a year later, a companion piece, The Thing with Two Heads, was released. Part of that one. Get me a body. A white bigot needed a new body. A black soul brother needed time to prove his innocence. Together they unwittingly created one of the most horrifying aspects of modern medical science. The thing with two heads. I told you guys I was innocent. I just need a little time. Why do you guys do this to me? In this, a rich but racist white man scientist is dying and hatches an elaborate scheme for transplanting his head onto another man's body. His health deteriorates rapidly, Mm -hmm. and doctors are forced to transplant his head on the only available candidate, an innocent black man from death row. Then begins a struggle for control over the body, which, if that is not a statement on race, I don't know what is. Anyway, I've never seen or heard of either of these two movies, although in The Simpsons, they've done this twice in the Treehouse of Horror episodes, but that's what that was based on. So those two movies, I I learned something. I feel like that would be some sort of like Damon Wayans comedy right now. Uh Uh-huh, yeah. All right. There are transplants in Young Frankenstein from 1974, and of course, The Meaning of Life from 1983. But I want to move past them to get to the movie The Man with Two Brains from 1983. Yeah. I never saw this one as a kid, but I remember the VHS cover. It's Steve Martin with the top of his head levitating. Right. So I always thought that somehow he got a brain transplant or something. Either way, I was completely wrong. Have you seen this movie? I know, but I've seen the cover that you're talking about. I always saw it in the video store when I was walking by to get slugs or Campbell Hall. Cost and so I always missed this movie, but I remember seeing the box. It's not what you would think it was from okay. the cover. Rough plot. It's kind of a screwball science fiction comedy where Steve Martin plays a brain surgeon that falls in love with his patient, Kathleen Turner. She turns out to be a gold digger, and while they're at a conference where people are also fearing a serial killer is on the loose, he meets a mad scientist who is experimenting with keeping brains alive in jars. Since his wife won't put out, he falls in love with a brain voiced by Sissy Spacek that he can communicate with telepathically. He steals the jar and they start going on romantic dates, which of course Kathleen Turner finds out about. These are dates where he and a jar of a brain go and do things like canoeing and you know stuff like that. And so they use that as a visual joke? It's kind of funny, yeah. yeah. He needs to find a recent dead body to put the brain in since they don't last long in jars. No, they don't. Wacky situations ensue and then surprise, Kathleen Turner gets murdered by the serial killer and he puts the brain in her. Mm. He falls into a coma for some reason I forget and then he wakes up and she's fat. So she didn't tell him that she was a binge eater like while they were getting to know each other and falling in love Uh that she, you know, had an eating problem. Because every 
every 80s movie, of course, involved fat shaming in some way. Right. So that's really the first transplant movie where a transplant actually goes pretty well in the end, unless, of course, she's fat and farts and eats all the food and right. 1980s. See, you say that that's an 80s thing, but I bet you if this came out now, it would have Rebel Wilson in it, mm-hmm. and they would fat shame her like they do in all the Pitch Perfect movies. Sure. So, yeah, they're going to remake that with, with Rebel Wilson. Uh-huh. Good. Okay, I'm trimming the fat a little bit. <laughs> and skip. Oh, yeah, you got that one. Yeah, okay, I got that great. one. Yeah. That's great. I'm going to skip to the 1991's bomb of a thriller called Body Parts. Remember Body Parts? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Body Parts came out around the time of Basic Instinct, mm-hmm. Jacob's Ladder, Cape Fear, and Single White Female. You know, all of these early 90s sexy thrillers. It's one of my favorite genres of all time ever in film history. I love early 90s sex thrillers. No, they're great. Yeah. Body Parts starts Jeff Fahey and Kim Delaney as a married couple when Jeff gets in a car accident and loses his arm. Kim signs a thing letting them try a new experimental transplant where he gets a new human arm. Unfortunately, it's a serial killer's arm. Ugh, yawn. Is that the only arms that are available in the it's, market? It's just like when you're talking about serial killers and how many of them there are at one time in the world, it's like 0.00. Yet their limbs are everywhere. 0% of the world. Like they're, yeah. Yet they're the only people that's organs are available when it's time that's for it. a transplant. That's all that's left. I guess all the ones are, have been spoken for. So, of course, he starts acting all weird, losing control of his arm, and sometimes having weird dreams and premonitions. He does some research and finds that other people got the serial killer's other body parts, and he goes to visit them to see if they have similar problems. Spoiler alert, they do. (sighs) This movie is terrible. Right. I got this one and immediately was just like, this earned its one star rating on Netflix. I saw it. Yeah. When it came out, I mean, I didn't go to theaters yet. I saw it on video, probably. Sure. I don't remember much of it, which is probably, that should say something. Yeah. What I do remember, it was fucking awful. Yeah. The one thing that I will say about it is that it lives up to its title when it comes to gore. It is bloody. It's really gross. Mm-hmm. It's really surgeon table-y. There's a scene where I think he like walks in and two guys' legs have been amputated and there's blood everywhere. And it's yeah. like, okay, that's good. Yeah. The movie was so bloody, in fact, that it actually came out right around the time that Jeffrey Dahmer was arrested and they pulled the ads in Wisconsin because of, you know, to not upset everybody for a movie called Body Parts right, right. after Jeffrey Dahmer had eaten a bunch of people. It's not even worth watching. The main problem is Jeff Fahey is not leading man material. No. Like, just no thank you. But at least this one had other serial killers, body parts going to other people. So it was a little different than just if it's one person with a serial killer part. There were other characters, which is kind of interesting. It's a terrible movie. Mm-hmm. There's kind of a heart transplant plot in Dr. Giggles from 1992. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Giggles? Wow, you really, you're digging it's deep, Frank. Deep cuts here. But another film from the mid-90s also had a transplant theme, and that was Face Off from 1997. Oh, wow. I have never seen Face Off. Okay, I don't know how to explain this about Face Off. Number one, it's a John Woo movie. Right. It was a huge hit. It was a huge hit. Critics liked it, too. It was a big movie. It's one of the fun, crazy Nick Cage movies. Mm Mm-hmm. Because, you know, there's a Nick Cage movie where he's crazy and not so much fun, like, I guess, Drive Angry or or the remake of... Wicker Man. Wicker Man. Mm -hmm. But this one's a fun, crazy Nick Cage movie. I've heard, yeah. My question is, and I, you know, I read the synopsis. I didn't write anything about it because I thought maybe you'll know something about it. Why do they switch faces? I know one of them switches faces and then the other one is like, okay, now I have to switch my face too. Why? I forgot why. Something happened. I don't remember. I don't know. I got nothing... All right, I'm going to pull this up on Wiki. 
So this says, at suggestion of his partner, Tito. What up, Tito? Tito. And special ops specialist, who the fuck cares? Sean secretly undergoes a highly experimental face transplant procedure to take on Castor's face and appearance. Meanwhile, Castor wakes up from his coma prematurely, discovers that his face is missing. That feels like that would happen pretty quickly. He calls on his gang, and then they force Dr. Walsh to put Sean's face on him. Okay, I guess that's somewhat... Oh, yeah, because I think he's going undercover, or I don't know. If anyone would like to explain this to us in... It was an enjoyable movie, but I forgot all of it. If you can explain this to us in two sentences, then Then you win a prize. Yeah, yeah. So that's face-off. Okay. Around the mid-90s, transplants started to become prime TV movie fare with Mm -hmm. titles like Donor Unknown from 1995 (laughs) and Nicholas's Gift from 1998. The transplant TV movies seemed to originate with the movie Who is Julia from 1986, which involved a brain transplant between two women, and now the one that survived is trying to figure out who she is. There was also Life Breath from 1997, where (laughs) Luke Perry plans a perfect murder to get a lung transplant for his dying wife. Sold. This sounds great. Uh Uh-huh. Countless kids needing transplant lifetime movies have been made since. Right. All right. That brings us up to the 2000s, to a film and a remake of that film, which were some of the key inspiration pieces for this episode when Allison sent it to me. So the original is the Hong Kong film The Eye from 2002. Okay. This came out at a time when Asian, mostly Japanese horror films like Ringu, remade as The Ring, Zhuan, remade as The Grudge, Dark Water, One Miss Call, you get it. Mm-hmm. The Eye is about a blind woman that gets a cornea transplant from a dead girl and starts to have visions. Namely, she can see things before they happen, specifically deaths and disasters. She and her therapist travel to find the girl that gave her the corneas, and they discover that she was psychic and had visions as well. But the townspeople all thought she was a witch, so she killed herself, and then the other chick got her eyes. On the way back from the trip, she has a vision while everyone is stuck in traffic. She gets off the bus and tries to warn everyone, but, you know, she looks like a fucking nut. Yeah. Then an oil tanker blows the fuck up. It's actually a really crazy scene, Mm -hmm. and her eyes get glass and shit in them, so she goes blind again and can now live without this awful girl's, like, weirdo eye visions. So this one is a little different because she didn't get the girl's personality, Mm -hmm. just her psychic vision eye abilities. It's actually kind of a good movie. Okay. The remake, however, didn't go as well. It's basically the exact same plot as the original, but Jessica Alba's performance was critically panned. She even got a Razzie nomination. And the the director says he got shut out of the editing process, which clearly didn't help. It bombed pretty hard and was really poorly reviewed. So that was the remake of The Eye. Got it. You're recovering quite nicely. Who's my donor? These are your eyes now and they're working. Shouldn't matter where they came from. Something's not right. There's nothing wrong with your eyes. I know you're scared. Don't be. Who is she? It's you, Sydney. Oh, my God. Okay. I finally get to talk about my favorite movie ever, The Human Centipede from 2010. Oh, God. First off, I'm not joking. I think Human Centipede is a great film, mainly because every horror film ever is about something or someone trying to hurt people or kill them. Mm -hmm. And this movie is about hurting people in an attempt to keep them alive. I will say it's kind of one of those movies that accomplishes what it's supposed to in the first 30 minutes. It's like, will he make a human centipede? And then the answer is yes. yes. And then there's like another hour of movie. 
but it's still pretty great and a little different than most of the other transplant movies we've talked about today. Right. Rough plot, a weird, wacky German surgeon used to be a conjoined twin separator. Now he wants to conjoin things instead. Of course. He had a conjoined dog, but it died. So he's collecting people to make a conjoined human pet centipede. How does he do this, you ask? He takes the first person, an Asian guy that doesn't speak English, and Mm -hmm. attaches one of the girls that stopped at his house because their car breaks down, and he attaches her to him. Then he does this with the other girl. How, you may ask? He takes the digestive tracts of each and runs them through their mouth so that the Asian guy's intestines now run out of his butt into the first girl's mouth then through her body and connected to the third girl's mouth. Then he stitches the mouths to the person in front of them's ass. So if the Asian guy eats, eventually that food goes through his digestive tract, through the mouth of girl number one and outer ass into girl number two, no pun intended, because number two, mm. and eventually out of her butt, which we see, it's a feel-good comedy. Yeah, yeah, and yeah it's very pleasant date film. I wrote, so when director slash monster Tom Six came up with this idea, he talked to a doctor about how this would work, and the doctor made a sketch, which is basically what is on the presentation that the doctor makes in the film. Mm-hmm. I remember reading an article where they asked a doctor to review the film and whether this was indeed possible, and the doctor said it was, that the girls would probably need to be hooked up to an IV, like IV drips, to give them nutrients and hydration, but beyond that, the medical science was at least possible. So there there you go. You can make a human centipede at home. <laughs> Tom, I know what you're getting for Christmas this year. Oh, that's the gift that keeps on giving. Yep. That's special. Oh, human centipede. Aww. Merry Christmas. There were two sequels, of course, the first one being in London, where a man is obsessed with the movie, so he decides to make a very long human centipede in an old storage unit. He recruits one of the actresses from the first by convincing her she's going to be in a Tarantino movie. Did you know this? You never saw this, did you? No, I didn't see the first one. The third takes place in a prison where a crazy warden turns all the prisoners into a huge mega centipede. I think it was like 100 people to make efficiencies and deal with overcrowding of prisons. (laughs) So kudos to Tom Six for doing something different with the sequels. But for the most part, they fall short at the first Right. Not necessarily transplants gone wrong, but more building something by transplanting someone's organs in through another person's body. Mm. I I think this is technically an attack of the transplant movies, but I'm not positive. Mm. All right. I'm starting to wrap up, but there's been a few transplant movies since then. Right around the time that the rumor that people were getting drugged and their kidneys were being harvested. You remember this? Oh, God. Yeah, that's horrifying. A new type of transplant subgenre started, and it was the harvesting plot line. Mm -hmm. The first of these films was The Harvest Project from 2008. It's about the underground organ market and what people will do to get organs. Yeah. There was Repo, the genetic opera from 2008, which mm-hmm. is a musical set in the future where robots go to repossess people's organs since they're in short order. Repo Men from 2010, which is the movie Repo Man, but imagined for organs. Right. And Never Let Me Go from 2010. Did you ever see this one? No. I, I know about it. I think. Yeah, it was based on a really popular book that I actually read. It's about children that are grown to donate their organs to the wealthier class. Oh, yeah. They go through three to five-ish donations before they're retired or essentially died. It's a great book that kind of didn't really translate that well into the you know the into movie. the yeah. screen. Yeah. So here's my point. Okay. I actually have a point this time. I to believe make. you. This time. These transplant movies, especially the ones where someone gets someone else's organ, hand, brain, 
and then take on someone else's personality are not just themes of transplant movies. In fact, we've talked about this idea numerous times in the podcast. In our first season in cannibalism, remember that I talked about endocannibalism, Mm -hmm. the idea that by eating a family or tribe member, you will somehow inherit or absorb their energy? Yeah. Remember in season two in Satanic Panic, you talked about movies where Satan somehow enters a human body and the body absorbs it, like in The Exorcist. Right. Season three in LGBT Psychopaths, where what was considered abnormal sexuality caused a type of schizophrenia, especially with transgender issues like Silence of the Lamb and Dress to kill mm-hmm. where people's gender dysmorphia causes them to act as two different people yep i'm going to keep going we see this in parasites where in the movie brain damage a parasite attaches to a human and will only supply a drug that alters the host's brain if he kills for him mm-hmm Devil dolls, where a human spirit enters in an inanimate doll and causes the doll to murder like a human, but as a doll. And even in season four, Revenge from the Grave, where in Ghost, Whoopi Goldberg allows a spirit version of Patrick Swayze to enter her so she can make out with Demi Moore. Great scene. So it's not just transplants that embody this larger idea, which is more of a mashup of two entities in one body, Mm -hmm. a kind of Hollywood idea of what is known as schizophrenia. Huh. So, do you see what I did there? I did. All well four done. seasons tied together. Well done. Uh-huh. Well so done. That, wrapping it all up. Yep. That is my episode on transplants. That's great. What do you great think? Yep. I enjoyed it and learned a lot about transplants. <laughs> <laughs> so, a, a movie you missed, mm-hmm. though not a great movie, was the Michael Bay action flick, The Island, which had a big transplant theme where, you know, they had these folks in this little utopian society where, you know, everything was provided to them. And they're like, oh, you're elected to go to the island. But it turns out what they're elected to go to is be harvested for their organs mm-hmm. for, because they're all like, kind of like Never Let Me Go. They're clones of the people. I think that's it. They're clones, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, they're clones for the people who pay to have their clones keeping organs alive in case they ever need them. Sure. So when they go to the island, what that means is they get carted off and killed and their organs are harvested. So, so is that technically an attack of the transplants movies? Or is that just a movie where transplants happen? Well, it's just it's a lot like Never Let Me Go. Right. Well, I could do it. I could probably do an episode on organ harvesting now, which right. would even be I mean, a little the, bit different. You know, Repo Man is kind of the same thing. Where, right. You know, it's yeah. just like, it's fucked up. But anyway, along those lines, that movie Absolutely, fits in. But yeah. no, it's not like somebody got an organ and then decided to murder somebody. Cause, yeah. Because the only parts that are around to get these days are serial killer parts. I understand. Well, it's funny. This episode was very finite because you know (laughs) there are certainly a lot of organ transplant movies and stuff like that but when they actually come back and start in some way either your body rejects it or you start acting like a different person you know there was maybe I don't know 10-15 movies total which usually when we start doing episodes if there's 30 then we're like okay we got an episode so this is the hooker vengeance of this season (laughs) because I had like 7 movies I could talk about in hooker vengeance so yeah not to beat a dead horse but I just thought it was really interesting because we constantly constantly talk about you know if you asked the movies then one out of three people has schizophrenia right and when you ask real life one out of a zillion people has real schizophrenia right but i just thought it was funny about you know because obviously the movies are obsessed with that idea and just how many different ways they've managed to do schizophrenia and 
devil dolls and organ transplants and cannibalism and all that stuff and kind of it's still the same idea it's just a way of doing one person takes on another person's personality well it's an easy trope to write something about but actors love that shit yeah too they like to be able to do that so it's attractive to actors to be able to be oh i'm this normal person and then i get that crazy right now so yeah it it makes everybody happy yeah i agree so great episode Thanks again, Allison. This was one of those cases of where I needed to be saved, and Allison saved me at the last minute. So yeah, that's great. Great really save, great, great episode. Yep. And before we go, again, this is the final episode of the season. Yep. And we will see you guys in April for season five, final season. Final season, yep. So it's going to be a good one. All right, thanks, everyone. All right, thanks. Uh, hope you enjoyed the season, and we'll see you in April. Yep, see you next spring. Bye. Thanks for listening to Slums of Film History. You can find us. Okay, so we're on. Okay. All right. Too hot to handle. Too, Too cold, cold to hold. hold. They call the, the Ghostbusters in the in control. control. Had them throwing a party for a bunch of chodes. Chodes. Children, did you say? Yeah. I think it's chodes. Okay. All the while, the slams under the building. So they packed up the fricks. Got a grip. Got a Proton packs from the back and they split. Found out about Vigo, the master of evil. Tried to battle my boys. That's not legal. Thanks for listening to Slums of Film History. You can find us on the web at slumsoffilmhistory.com where you can find links to some of the movies we talked about today, along with pictures, videos, and additional resources, as well as Sunday Slum Day, our weekly recommendation for the best and sometimes worst films every Sunday night. If you want to keep up with us, we're on Facebook and Twitter where we share out a lot of additional content. And as always, please fact check us and let us know if we left anything out. We're not professionals, just two friends that love gross movies. that rap is terrible bobby brown fucking he his raps suck the weird part about it too is that they play it twice during the song yeah like it they're like couldn't even come up with another one no they're like this blew you away the first time right just do the exact same thing the second time but to his credit i mean he did summarize the movie pretty well in that i missed that about about songs for movies where they used to yeah they used to talk about the whole movie you know i missed that so era a day gone by era gone by yeah all right we'll save this (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.